Hello again, everyone. This is Dan Duva. It's the Sheriff Lawless and Some Guy Named Dave podcast presented by the D Hotel. It's a special edition of SLGND. We're looking at how the nights were built. Dan Duva here, Gary Lawless, Shane Knighty, Dave Gosher. But it is the Golden Knights insider, Gary Lawless, who's been working on this special project. How the Knights were built going all the way back to the expansion draft right through the present day Golden Knights. Whether by draft, by trade, etc., how the Golden Knights have this current roster assembled. So, Mr. Golden Knights insider Gary Lawless, uh, this brings us back to what we did, uh, I guess it was just over a year ago, the oral history of the Golden Knights. But this is a little bit of a different take, very much in terms of the hockey operations department putting it together. Uh, so, Gary, give us a background. How did you come up with this concept, and, and how have you started to put this together? Well, every year uh, between the regular season and the playoffs, there's a couple of days where there's not a lot going on in terms of games or... Uh, and, you know, you want to have a special package of content that you can give to to, to fans and keep get them engaged and get them sort of ramped up for the second season, the playoff season. So last year, the first year, <laughs> we didn't have any time for any of that crazy stuff. We just kind of, uh, we well, basically the four of us, we were just uh, holding our breath and hanging on for the ride. But uh um, and taking care of everything that was just right in front of us. But then last year, uh, you know, started thinking the team's going to make the playoffs again. Um, what will we do? And I thought, well, let's do, a, let's, let's recount what happened last season. And then this year I was sort of, you know, starting to kick some ideas around and I looked at the roster one day and I just thought, you know, this is fascinating that this is the third year of an expansion franchise and, Look at the way the, these players all got here. Look how good good this team is, how deep this team is, and the fact that it's become a, a perennial contender heading to the postseason for the third year in a row. How did all these guys get here? And started to kind of look at uh, at the history of each guy, and uh, it just sort of thought, uh, this is... Uh, Let's go a little deeper with this. So uh, I got on the phone with Kelly McCrimmon and spent an hour with him discussing the acquisition of uh, the 23 guys that were that were that are on the roster right now and that were you know have been being used this primarily this season. And Kelly was great, gave us a snippet of each guy, and then um, I've been uh, you know have written a story that will go along with this. And then there's a fantastic graphic uh, element that will sort of explain all of this in. Uh, in uh, in living color, and then uh, of course there's uh, as Dave calls us the four knuckleheads, and I had to get uh, I had to get the four knuckleheads together and, and hear what they had to say. So um, I think let's let's start with let's go back to the beginning. Let's start with the expansion draft and just sort of uh, you know you can all chime in with sort of you know when you look at that expansion draft the the picks and the selections. And I should, just a quick caveat, Shay Theodore, Alex Tuck, and Riley Smith were all, were all traded to the Golden Knights as part of the expansion draft. So the team that, that exists right now, 11 of the players were acquired through trade, nine were taken in the expansion draft, and three were signed in uh, via free agency. But in those... Um, those 11 trades, three of those trades 
Alex Tuck, Shea Theodore, and Riley Smith, they were all part of the expansion process as well. So, uh, you know, Tuck came with Eric Halla, Theodore came with Clayton Stoner, and Riley Smith uh, came with Jonathan Marcheseau. And there was, uh, you know, there's some intricacies that are why those deals unfolded the way they did. Theodore and Tuck weren't really available for the expansion draft because of uh, of, of their their NHL service. And Smith was tied to a, uh, a salary cap issue for the Florida Panthers. So um, we'll just so you understand that they're really part of the expansion draft. But uh, well, I think it's worth noting too, Gary. You know, and Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee have mentioned this in the past that you know their strategy, right, going into that expansion draft, they were looking for diamonds in the rough. They were looking for guys that had had some level of success in the league, but they thought had a significant upside. And you know, I know you've you've talked with both. George and Kelly about this. They literally took the league and split it in half, right? You take these 15 teams, we'll take I'll take the other 15 teams, and that was really their their approach, but their their ability to really get in depth and you know, look at guys that had had some success but they knew were capable of a lot more. And the, the job they did especially that first year is beyond belief. Well, I was fortunate enough to uh to be invited into the the war room where McPhee and McCrimmon had all of their pro scouts and uh, and uh, all of their hockey operations staff that they assembled for that expansion process and watched them go through a team where they would put up, you know, the guys that were available and then have a discussion on, on those players. And um, the data that they had, you know, first of all, it was, was very in-depth, but then they'd also have... You know, a number of guys would have seen these players live because they really scoured uh, the hockey world to, to look at players during that process. And then they'd have kind of a back and forth, just like we are right now, on these players that, that, that were available. So it was pretty fascinating. Shane, when you go back to the expansion draft, for you, what's the most important selection that the Golden Knights made? I think it's Marc-Andre Fleury, and, and we all understand that. But, you know... I. You go back to that expansion draft, you look at what they picked, and everybody still had the same thoughts. They were going to be 31st. Um, so there's an element that they went deeper into understanding, and this is a credit not only to George and Kelly, but uh, certainly uh, the the pro scouts, the uh, everybody that was on the staff, their ability to kind of not only you know pick on their current ability, but to to pick these players knowing where they could get to. So you see the floor. Then there's some undercover ones. You think of a guy like Braden McNabb, um, who, who's become instrumental. And, you know, we, we can talk Carlson and we know how important Marsha. So those guys, how big they were to this team. At, but nobody saw William Carlson scoring 43 goals. So there's an element to that. And you talked about it, Gary, that they were able to dig deep enough to kind of foreshadow what the potential of these players were. They, they based them on speed. They wanted to play fast and they wanted to work hard. That was too, too non-negotiable using the words of Pete DeBoer that, you know, George and Kelly wanted. They wanted a team that was going to compete and play fast. And they felt along with that, along with, you know, understanding potential of these players. And uh, there were so many key, you can look at that expansion draft. Everything they've done has been instrumental to get them to this point. It, it is something to me that's been unprecedented to take a, uh, an organization in three years, as you mentioned, to a per- perennial contender it is unheard of. And, 
Um, you know, watching these replays of the games, just seeing the the first game against Dallas, you look at that lineup there, and, and there's been an involvement to this team. William Carlson was on the wing. Uh, you know, guys like Oscar Lindbergh was centering Smith and Marcia. So, so there, there's been, you know, an evolution to how these guys have had to fit into where they are now. And as good as they were in year one, now they are, it's been the best team they've ever had as we look at it, uh, you know, the last game they played here against the Edmonton or against Edmonton, not here, but uh, certainly the best lineup we've seen in a Golden Knights uniform. Dan, I, I'd ask you to sort of comment on how they were able to build a roster with depth out of that expansion draft. And, and they, they've added to that through, um, through trades and expansions. But, you know, you look at guys like Nosek, Carrier, you know, those guys, they, they didn't know a ton about them at the NHL level, but they were able to, to, to take them from the American League uh, time and really get useful players that, that filled out their roster. Yeah, and you mentioned Tomas Nosek. Uh, it's hard to forget he scores two goals in game one of the Stanley Cup final and was the game-winning goal scorer, was the number one star. A year earlier, he had been the number one star in game one of the Calder Cup playoffs for Grand Rapids and scored two goals in that game. And uh, it was the first two-goal game of Nosek's NHL career. It happened to be game one of the Stanley Cup final. But when you talk about depth, Gary, it's interesting in the, the focus – as compared to previous expansion drafts where we're looking for a star and you would normally think of a star as, you know, the big time goal scorer, uh, the, the guy who's going to be a perennial all-star offensively. And James Neal was probably the closest thing to that. And, and he'd had some success, but I'm not sure that you'd put him in that star category. Uh, George McPhee and, and Kelly McCrimmon um, went a different way with the one guy that you would call a star. And that was Marc-Andre Fleury. And I, I think that that is a little bit of a departure from getting the, the, the big gun offensive weapon. And because they decided to go with the goaltender as the lone star, um, that allowed them to be more um, focused on depth when it comes to rounding out that roster and having more of a, more of a competition for spots. And we already mentioned it. Who would have thought that Will Carlson was going to end up as the number one center for this team? Undisputed. But uh, that was not the thought going in. It, it was all about having sort of a, an even a keel with the, the forwards. Um, and rather than having a top gun offensively, they, they made sure that that one face of the franchise would be the goaltender. Dave, we said at the time, or as we got to know the team a little bit, we came to sort of think that, you know, this wasn't a team that was built out of two or three guys that were, you know, uh, a plus players, and then a bunch of guys that were were kind of C's. This was a group from the beginning that we kind of looked at as and said, these guys are all B pluses, and that uh, that's been really meaningful in terms of the internal construction uh, of the team and the way they behave one another. And you know, it goes back to that great quote uh, from uh, either McPhee or Gallant, I forget. I think it was McPhee. It was McPhee. He said, we don't need a captain. We've got 23 captains. 
Yeah. Well, and I think, Gary, to your point, you know, they they wanted low ego, low maintenance, um, and they put an onus on that, not only in that locker room, but kind of throughout the organization. You know, they wanted George McPhee's talked about this. They wanted excellent people, you know, first and foremost, and people that they knew that there were going to be ego problems. And and I think you factor into this, too, guys, that look, everybody on that team, for one reason or another, was deemed expendable by their other team. And you can't get around that fact. I mean, it wasn't until maybe late in the season, guys, or the playoffs that James Neal, I think, said, you know, we call ourselves internally the Golden Misfits. But that drove that team all year long, kind of cast off from, I mean, James Neal's a perennial. I mean, I know last year, not so much, but he's a perennial 20-goal guy in the NHL. And he was expendable. Riley Smith had had some good years. Jonathan Marchessault was coming off a 30-goal season. We know Marc-Andre Fleury's pedigree. Um, and, you know, that's a more of a, a deeper, complicated story with Matt Murray in Pittsburgh. And, you know, it's interesting that he was available to the expansion draft, right? What if they had moved him at the trade deadline? He did have a modified no trade clause. But in the bigger picture, low ego, low maintenance, and everyone on that team who had had some, you know, some success or they felt was capable of a lot more had, a, had an enormous chip on their shoulder that, that whole first season. We won't pretend that these aren't extraordinary times. We are not in a uh, in a soundproof studio. We are all uh, we are all at our own homes, and we're uh, connected through the uh, the technology of Google Hangouts, and then recording into our phones. And that was Rosie Gosher uh, uh, <laughs> reminding, Rosie reminding Dave that Mark Andre Fleury was the most important pick of the expansion draft. And uh, why aren't you talking about that? I think you know. Just to touch, touch real qu- quickly on the th- on the three trades that uh, that that are tied to the expansion draft and are st- still on the team: Riley Smith, Shea Theodore, and Alex Tuck. And you know, Riley Smith is you know maybe one of the most underrated two way players in the National Hockey League. He is just so fantastic at both ends of the ice. Uh, and has had a really good scoring season this year. And Shea Theodore has developed, well, at the break, at the pause, Shea Theodore was ranked 10th in scoring amongst all NHL defensemen. And you guys on the TV show, you run a graphic all the time dating back to uh, early December where he is, I think he's like third in scoring uh, amongst all NHL defensemen behind uh, Yossi and Carlson since um, uh, since like sort of December 10th or in or around that date. I don't have the graphic right in front of me. So uh, the emergence of Shea Theodore, like, the, the, you know, the Anaheim Ducks were in a bad position where they were going to lose a good player no matter what. And they were trying to protect, uh, you know, some of their young defensemen. And I think Josh Manson was kind of at the top of that list and, and understandably so. He's a, a really good player. But um, the fact that Vegas was able to acquire Shea Theodore, who in the next year or two is going to be um, – Barring injury is going to be a Norris finalist is a uh, a pretty, uh, pretty impactful acquisition via an expansion draft. Let's move on uh, to free agency. This is a smaller group, but it's Zach Whitecloud. John, uh, <laughs> Nick Holden. We say John Holden all the time because uh, John is Nick's dad and we, uh, we really like John. And 
Paul Statsny. I could say Peter Statsny there too because we really like uh, Peter Statsny as well. But those three guys, and let's start with Statsny because that was, you, you think about it, uh, it uh, the summer of 2018, John Tavares was uh, kind of the big fish out there. And right behind him at center ice was Paul Statsny. And the Vegas Golden Knights were able to to swoop in and uh, and get Paul, uh, get Paul and uh, Shane, you uh, you watched him play in the Western Conference Final for we all did for the Winnipeg Jets, but uh, to be able to grab that caliber of a center with his pedigree, pretty impressive for uh, for a second year team. Oh, and it, and it showed the commitment, you know, from certainly Bill Foley through uh, through uh, Kelly and George and their commitment to to go after free agents and big free agents because Stastny was one of the the most coveted, as you mentioned, after Tavares. So uh, for the Golden Knights to go out, you, you know, you're getting you know one of the smart players in the game. You know, center ice position, you have to be highly intelligent, and you know. Paul comes from you know pretty good bloodlines in in the hockey world, and anybody that gets a chance to to talk to him, he's very he's very well thought in in the game of hockey. He very detailed. He's he's an intelligent guy. He's cerebral the way he plays. Um, you know, he's not going to blow you away with anything fancy, but he he because he understands. He goes to positions. He's he's really good at everything. Uh, you can see him on the penalty kill. Uh, you can see him on the power play. He can play different positions on the power play. He's stronger than you think, good in the face-off circle. So this is a guy that you come in, and then he has certainly a, a veteran presence to him, you know, a guy that's played, you know, through a lot of different eras, through, uh, you know, where there's been, you know, different types of athletes. You know, he came in in a, in a time that was uh, drastically different than what a lot of the players now co- are coming into is the way, uh, you know, the the rookies and younger players are handled. So, uh you know, he's a guy you love to talk about. And certainly it, it just, to me, it spoke to the commitment that ownership management has to, to building every year a strong team when you can go out and through free agency acquire a guy like Stastny. And, you know, I think the other part of it is not ju- it's not just that uh, that the management was trying to build um, something with a player like Stastny. It was also building an environment in Las Vegas that would be attractive to free agents. And Stastny will, I think, go down as the first free agent signing that came to Vegas after the Knights established themselves as a destination, which is not to say it wasn't going to be a destination in, in some way, shape, or form, but that it happened so quickly, just one year uh, into the franchise's existence, word got around. I mean, other guys we know <laughs> haven't said it publicly, but would love to play for the Golden Knights, given how the organization has set itself up, given that uh, the Las Vegas happens to be a terrific place to live, the lack of state income tax and all that, great weather, um, and also a commitment to winning. So Stastny was the first of those guys. He happened to be available, but uh, there's going to be a line of people um, in years to come who will look at the Golden Knights as an organization and as a destination and want to be here as a potential free as a uh, free agent looking to sign. Well, and that Dan, you know, we'll get to this in the next in the next bit when we talk about trades. But when Stastny sort of signaled to the hockey world that. Yeah, this is the place. This is this is the place to go. Yeah, that uh, w- we've heard that a lot since then. And when we talk about Pacioretty and Stone uh, and and those trades, 
that that sort of attitude about Vegas played a lot. Uh, Dave, you are our resident uh, college hockey expert. And, <laughs> you know, these college free agents, um, they're free. They're free players in terms that you don't have to you don't have to spend a draft pick on them or you don't have to trade to get them. You just kind of got to convince them to come to your place. Some work, some don't. Tell us about Zach Whitecloud. And he clearly has worked. Well, he's been terrific, Gary, and I think he's, you know, he's someone that benefited. I, I think a couple of things can happen when you when you get a college free agent and, and Zach left school early to to come um, to sign with Vegas. But at times you get somebody that's a little bit older. Um, you know, he's not 18, 19, fresh out of junior. You can be a little bit older when you come out of college. And I think for Zach, you know, what he benefited from was, you know, his ability to play I think in the AHL, I think that was huge for him to have a, a real good year playing, um, you know, with the Wolves in Chicago um, last year, played a lot with with Nick Haig, played in all important situations. I don't think that can be overstated. You know, they go to the Calder Cup final last year, the grind of playing in big moments and big games in May and June. Um, then this year, and I think the Golden Knights have been open about this, he probably would have been called up to Vegas sooner, dealt with a couple of injuries, got hurt in training camp, got hurt again in Chicago a little bit later on in the year, but was able to battle through those. And I think just his, um, you know, and Shane's kind of pointed this out at different times, his poise, his ability not to be flustered, not to kind of be intimidated by the moment. He's done a terrific job lately in the most recent stretch of games that the Golden Knights have had of forming a real reliable third pair with with Nick Holden. So I think, you know, we've only kind of scratched the surface with him as, as a good, reliable, no real, not a lot of flash to his game, but in a in a good way. And again, you know, it gets back to the point. I know it's different with Stastny, an established player in the NHL for a long time and and White Cloud sounding as a college free agent. But in both cases, realizing that Vegas was a heck of a place to be and a heck of a place to play and making the decision. You know, he had other teams, White Cloud did. I mean, there was a bunch of teams in the mix for him and decided that Vegas was the best fit. Shane, is Nick Holden underappreciated? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, and, and it's hard for, for people on the outside uh, to go into to that room. Only the players, only his teammates, guys he's played with know his value. And, and a lot of time value goes beyond what you see in games. Uh, I think Holden's, a, he's certainly, I think, a calming influence. Uh, he's got a real good demeanor about him. Uh, he's intense when he plays, but but if there's mistakes, I think he's good for a young player, a guy like White Cloud, to say, hey, you're going to make mistakes. Let's move on. Let's have fun. Stick to your game. We all know how to play the game. And, and, and he's a guy everyone likes. Uh, you know, in that room, he, he's been, he's an older, one of the older players, uh, so I think he's a guy that's not afraid to to voice, you know, his opinion when it matters. And uh, those guys are very valuable to a team. And I think he played really well. Uh, you know, he's a guy that put up really good numbers with the Rangers not too long ago. So there's an offensive element to his game, which is nice to see, uh, you know, when you can have a guy like that that plays in your third pair that can still provide some offense. So uh, I think Nick has really, you know, elevated his game and he was rewarded with an extension. You know, I believe it was. Same could be said for Braden McNabb, too, who, who doesn't get a lot of talk for a guy. The minutes he plays, the the hits he, we always, the hits everybody talks about Reeves, block shots. Well, McNabb gets a bit of it, but, 
He just consistently goes about his business. And when you talk about consistency, Shane, with Will Carlson's absence, guess yeah. who leads the Golden Knights in all-time games played? Braden McNabb now has one up on Will Carlson. Yeah, McNabb was an interesting pick in the expansion draft because he had a down year that year. He was hurt the year before, and they uh, they they had their intel on him. And they, you know, it's just like a trade. You don't worry so much about what the guy has done with the team he's he's previously been with. You try and figure out what he's going to do with your team. And, you know, McNabb is a great example of that. And so was Alec Martinez, who was having a down year with the Kings and arrived in Vegas and just exploded. So let's move on. Let's. This is the fun stuff, the trades. And the, the morning of the expansion draft or the, or the, the, the morning of before, uh, George McPhee, we were uh, we were working out of another one of Bill Foley's offices, and he met the media, and it was local media and national media, and and they said, "What are you going to try and accomplish with the expansion draft?" And he said, "We're going to try and build a competitive team right away, but we're also we want to try and stock the shelves with assets that will allow us to build for the future." and you know, I think what he thought was he was gonna he wanted to get a bunch of draft picks. And then they were gonna hand those draft picks to Bobby Lowe's and Scott Luce and say, Okay, go get us a bunch of great young players and we'll develop them and in two or three years they'll all be ready to come to the NHL and boy will we have a team. Well instead, the team went to the Stanley Cup final in the first year and they realized we did a way better job with the expansion draft than we thought we were going <laughs> to. We are a contender right now. Let's weaponize some of those picks. We'll leave some for Bobby, but let's take some of those picks and some of those assets and let's get better right now. And that's Mark Stone. That's Max Pacioretty. That's Alec Martinez, uh, Robin Leonard. Uh, a lot of these acquisitions, Nick Waugh is a different case because they got picks back when they got Waugh. Um, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these, the, the trades they've made were a result of the great work that they did in the expansion draft in collecting assets. And, uh, um, yeah, it's don't forget the, about Cousins and Stevenson this year, too, Gary. Yep, for sure. Yeah. But let, so let's get to the, let's get to the, the whopper, the big daddy. Uh, and that is Mark Stone. They were able last year at the trade deadline to get, you know, for my money, one of the one of the ten or fifteen best players in the National Hockey League, a top five winger in the NHL, a bona fide superstar. Shane, how good is Mark Stone? He's the smartest player in the NHL, no, hands down to me. And yeah, you could put him, I guess, with. You know, Patrice Bergeron would, you know, come to mind, Andre Kopitar, those guys that win the Selk each and every year. I think Stone, before he got hurt, would have been, to me, on the path maybe to be the first winger to win it in a long time since Erie Lettinen. Uh, you know, Stone just does everything. He makes the, the best thing to describe him is he does everything you could ask on the ice in every situation. He, he thinks the game quicker than anyone. But the biggest thing is he makes everyone around him better. When he's on the ice, everybody else is better. That's uh, that's a tough player to find that that does that consistently. And then uh, his compete and his passion for the game, it's it's up there with the best of them. And you can tell we, we he sees reactions. I love when he scores a goal, but it, it, 
anybody could score the goal and he has the same reaction that that just shows his team player and uh you know what a commitment he has so just absolutely huge acquisition uh for the golden Knights when they were able to acquire stone you know, Gary, just looking through some of the comments that you got from Kelly McCrimmon about Mark Stone, the word elite appears in his quotations, I, I think, half a dozen times. Yeah. And one of them is, you know, no matter what metric you want to use to evaluate a player, he's elite. Uh, and then he talks about when in Ottawa, a situation that had a younger team and Stone had younger line mates. McCrimmon says his game was still at an elite level and the players that played with him flourished as a result of that. And I think that it's the mark of an elite player that you elevate the game of those around you. You know, when you, when you see him too, Gary, on a night-to-night basis, as we do now, you know, I think it's one thing, you know, you play the Ottawa Senators twice a year, right? The, the Golden Knights do. And, and you see him and you notice him. But the little things he does every single night, you know, being on the right side of the puck, he always seems to be in the right position on the ice. Um, the puck seems to kind of follow him around to a certain extent. You, know, you remember that goal he had this year in Florida where he kind of picked his way through the, the Panther defense and, and roofed, uh, I think it was his second goal in that five-point game. But his ability just to kind of be in all the right spots on the ice, and I've got even a more of an, you know, even when I was back in my old job in Boston, you'd see the Senators maybe four or five times a year, but to see him every night and to see the the impact he has on games, um, you know, little subtle things he does throughout, you know, games on almost a nightly basis. And the fact that they make this trade for him, and it goes back to our previous point, guys, of, Vegas is is such a desirable place to play. Shane, you could speak to this. All players talk, right? They around oh, yeah. the league, right? They all. I mean, this city's great. This city's not so great. You're treated phenomenally here, and the Golden Knights players are. That you know they make the trade, and then they you know the the talks were already in place of a long term extension, which he signed uh, to stay here for for a long, long time, which is which is uh, great to see. Davey, you make a really interesting point there, and. Shortly after the Golden Knights acquired Mark Stone and they had signed him to the eight-year extension, a, a decision-maker with another franchise, like a guy, not the, not the number one guy, but right near the top, walked up to me in the Golden Knights press box and said, boy, did they ever pay a lot for Mark Stone? And I looked at him, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, they traded Eric Brandstrom and then all that money. For Mark Stone, and I just it clicked in my mind that if you just see Mark Stone one night, or you know two or three nights a season, that might be your impression. But when you like you just said, when you watch him five nights in a row or ten nights in a row, you gain an impre- a, 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 an appreciation for him that is beyond. And the Golden Knights did their homework. And, and listen, let's. Let's not pretend the fact that Kelly McCrimmon, who had Mark Stone and Brandon, and Bobby Lowe's, who was the the scout in Ottawa that drafted him in Ottawa, they knew what a lot of people didn't know, that Mark Stone was a fantastic player. Max Pacioretty, we were, um, let's, that night that they acquired him, I think, if I, I might be wrong, but I think Dave and Shane had left the building to go see Journey. And Dan and I were still, uh, it was a, it was a, a rookie prospects game at City National Arena. Dan and I were still there. And when it was all wrapped up, uh, I got pulled aside and said, uh, don't go anywhere just yet. 
Were you guys there? Concert two. The nights mixed up. You were at the concert two. Oh, you were there. Def Leppard, Gary. We had to call the next morning. It was the next morning. All right, got it, got it. Anyways, let's get it straight. Dave and Shane are at a concert. No, Gary, you were there too. I went to the. I got to the concert later. No, no, no. I listen. I I I wasn't trying to suggest that you guys were loafers and left work early. Although that's exactly what happened. Exactly. You wouldn't be. You wouldn't be wrong. Anyways, okay, so we were all in the building, and we got the word stick around a little while, and I don't know if you guys will remember, but George McPhee walked through our little office, and George is really usually well-kempt and, and, and put together. Well, he looked like he'd been uh, uh, road hard and put up wet, and I, don't, and I think that because, you know, trading a young player like Nick Suzuki is really hard to do. And Nick Suzuki has gone to the Montreal Canadiens and produced big time. Yeah. But Max Pacioretty is, uh, you know, last year, I think there was, you know, some lingering injuries. And obviously the fact that he was traded during training camp kind of slowed him up. But the Max Pacioretty we've seen this year, full value. This is a guy that, that has been really important to the Golden Knights. Well, and then to go back to what we were just talking about, Mark Stone elevating players around him. Max Pacioretty gets back to the 30-goal mark. But, you know, a lot of that is Mark Stone. A lot of that big part is Pacioretty. You can see just his style of game. He's got bite to his game. He's a big, strong man. We've You're seeing a lot more of that. Uh, just just comfortable coming into this season. He's a guy that, you know, has kids, family. So people never think about, you know, first moves, schools, hospitals, doctors, all those things that come into play. And I think, you know, getting his family settled that first year, a couple injuries. But this season, uh, this is the Max Pacioretty they traded for. Uh, him and Mark Stone together are, are dynamic. Uh, I, I like William Carlson between them. I think that's a that's a top, top five line in the NHL. Uh, you know, Stastny's played there. They've had success. But... Uh, Max Pacioretty, and he's up there in the top five for for best wrist snapshot, whatever you want to call it. His release, uh, using the word we've used with Stone, his release is elite. Yeah, and you know the other part of it is you said it, Shane, with regard to Pacioretty and Stone fitting together. I don't want to disrespect Tomas Tatar, and, and certainly not Nick Suzuki, yeah. who's at the beginning of his career. But sometimes it's not just the numbers that tell you the value of a player; it's how well does he fit. And Tatar scored a bunch of goals on a regular basis for the Red Wings when he came to the Golden Knights. It just didn't work. Uh, was it just a, a slump in his otherwise? strong NHL career. We know what he's done in Montreal. It's been back to form for him, but he just did not seem to fit with the Golden Knights. Where in the lineup was he best suited? And Suzuki, of course, never got a chance with the Golden Knights, but we talk about whether it was Suzuki or Eric Brandstrom, all those uh, assets that the Golden Knights acquired, you got those not necessarily to have them develop in Vegas. The, the plan changed, as you talked about before. You want to use those players to move um, on to uh, acquire other pieces. And I, I would do that Pacioretty trade again a, a hundred times. And, and I, I still scratch my head at the folks who say, oh, no, they 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 missed the boat there. They should have kept Tatar and Suzuki. I, I think that's silly. Pacioretty has been an excellent fit with the Golden Knights. Well, and you know what it showed me, too? 
you guys is that getting back to, um, you know, I'll take it back to the Stastny free agent signing uh, summer of, I guess that's 2018, and then trading for Pacioretty in that training camp of, of that same year, um, right on the eve of camp, that they were in this to win this right off the bat. I mean, obviously they proved that in year one, but I think they've they've made a, a, a real strong effort to make sure that that first year just wasn't a flash in the pan and that they want to be a contender for the Stanley Cup every year. They were in year one. They were in year two, if we all know what happened against San Jose, and they built a team that's leading the Pacific Division at at the pause. So I think for me it signified, you know, or reinforced maybe their philosophy. And, And look, there's no, you can't ignore the fact that what they were able to do in year one put them years ahead, years ahead of of where traditional expansion teams have been. And I know what was Bill Foley's quote, uh, you know, playoffs in in three, cup and six. I think it was something like that. Cup and five. Well, you know, that's all blown out of the water now. I mean, they Mm -hmm. are a team that's expected to contend for a Stanley Cup every year. But I think when you trade for somebody like Pacioretty, bring in his pedigree, the captain of the Montreal Canadiens, um, I think that sends a, a signal again throughout the NHL that we're here. We're here for the long term. I mean, guys, he's their best natural goal scorer on the team. I mean, he's he's a sniper on that team. I mean, you think about some of the goals he scored, and Shane talked about how, how elite his shot is. It just flies off his stick in no time. The goal he scored against Nashville this year to tie the game with .3 seconds left. There's nobody else on the, on the team you'd rather have the puck on their stick in a moment like that where you need a goal either late to tie or, or win a game. But it does come back to I think the larger point of their ability and their their desire to, to prove they're here, you know, to be a contender for a long time. And I'll just follow up on that, Dave, and say not only does it send a message to the rest of the league, I think it sends a message to the players that are currently on the Golden Knights. It, it, it is not just uh, for the rest of the league to look upon. It, it says, hey, guys, what we expect you to win now, and we are going to do whatever we can to help get this team to become better. Now, if you go back to last offseason – you know, they were trading Eric Halla for Nick Wan picks, Colin Miller and for picks, the rights to Nikita Gusev for picks, and there was a lot of caterwauling about cap management. Well, the Golden Knights management knew exactly what they were doing. There's a price to be paid when you sign a player like Mark Stone, and you get the opportunity to sign a superstar and they got him for good value, you know, max contract uh, for around $9 million under the $10 million mark, which is, uh, um, you know, players of Mark Stone's caliber are getting that all the time. But regardless, since th- that time, Nick Waugh develops into a bona fide NHL player. Then they go into the trade market and they're able, uh, the deadline, well, Stevenson comes at Christmas. And then they go and they get Cousins. Martinez and Leonard at the deadline. Uh, it, cap management? Well, to me, it's a, it's a master class in how to get elite players at good value and then manage the cap and make good decisions to get to a place where you can really bolster your team at the deadline. Well, I think, you know, certainly the, you know, Chandler Stevenson, who's been with them the longest, just goes back to what this, their ability to to look into the potential of players. 
uh, you know, they saw Stevenson, a guy who's fast, strong, and, you know, you don't know much about him. He played a fourth-line role with the Capitals, but he comes here, and he's he's been one of the best utility players you could ever ask for, his ability to move in and out of, the, you know, up and down the lineup, center, wing, wherever you need him. He can get things done, and uh, I didn't know he was that fast and that strong. Just so many things. So to the scouts who were able to, you know, you know, look at this guy, kind of evaluate where he's at. He has been, to me, one of their best pickups of the year when they went through some injuries because of Stevenson. They were able to sustain their play, and and now he makes them a deeper club because he can play anywhere. Uh, really impressed with that move. Of course, Nick Cousins, late we've seen from him, you know, more speed, more depth. Uh, and Martinez, uh, maybe the the big one to me, because we've talked right from the beginning, what do they need? A top four D-man, a top four D-man. Well, they finally got one, and a lot of people maybe thought, you know, Martinez, who is prominent in a couple of Stanley Cups with the Kings, uh, was on the, on the downhill, but he's come here, and he has rejuvenated his game. There's an offensive element that's back. Uh, his ability, I didn't know he was that good at blocking shots, so smart under pressure. There's just a real strong veteran top four defenseman you know game to him that reliable uh you know what you're going to get consistent and, and then experience a guy that uh, has that pedigree with a couple of the stanley cups in his back pocket certainly uh is another you know valuable asset to bring into an organization you know, and their ability to Gary to to add a Robin Leonard um, in net. You know, I think we've kind of talked amongst ourselves for a good portion of the season. That was an area they didn't need to upgrade was their backup goaltending position, and you know they were able to do that. It's not often you get a Vesna finalist from the year before that's available at the trade deadline. It's I'd have to think long and hard about the last time a goaltender of of his caliber at the deadline was moved. You really, you don't usually see that. Um, you know, this pause, you know, is, is tough for a lot of reasons. Obviously, we know the bigger global reason, but also because the Golden Knights had made these moves. I know Stevenson was earlier in the year, but, you know, they had a forward in Cousins, a defenseman of Martinez, and a goaltender in Leonard all at the deadline. And they'd used a straight rotation of between Fleury and Leonard, you know, in the game since he had been acquired. But, boy, you'd love to see if this team could go on to do something special, right? I mean, they had just recently ripped off, I want to say, eight in a row and 11 out of 13, I believe, before the pause. So, um, you know, hopefully that's something they can work out down the road. But the ability of, you know, hockey operations to to acquire players of this caliber and really fill needs. I mean, they, they needed, you know, we've kind of talked all year, they needed some help to try to create a productive third line. Um, Shane mentioned they needed a top four defenseman, and I think we felt, and, and they felt, they needed to strengthen their backup goaltending position. They were able to do all of that prior to the deadline. The results have been terrific since, and now we'll see if and when they can play again, if they can carry on and do some real special things. And Gary, you, you kind of bring up the, the point about the, the salary cap. And, and by the way, Dave, it's 11-2, and two, you're right, in those last 13 games. Um, I, it, and and <laughs> you, you think about the 
the guy who bore the brunt of the salary cap management this year, I think Nekwa was the guy. All the transactions up and down, um, whereas an NHL roster is 23 players, the Golden Knights for almost the entire year was right at 20 or 21, having just one healthy extra on a regular basis. And all of this was to bank cap space. And we kept thinking, well, gee, like, this is um, even beyond the, the normal salary cap wrangling that teams have tried to do just to make it work down the line. Uh, and I am no mathematician. That is <laughs> that is not my department. And I, I think that we all and a lot of fans were like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? What if somebody gets hurt in warmups? They're not going to have enough players. Well, all of that stuff that they did leads to making the Robin Leonard trade work. And, of course, then the, the other wrinkle of going through Chicago to Toronto to Vegas with those teams retaining some salary and how that all comes together. Uh, I don't know what sort of college degree you, you might need, a doctorate or something, to figure all of this out. But, boy, oh, boy, it, it, is, uh, it is just a, a course in how to manage the salary cap under the current rules. And and to your point, Dan, why did they do it? Because they needed every penny. You know, you accrue cap space throughout the season. So if a player's not on your NHL roster for, let's say you've got three days between games or two days between games, every, you know, every penny they can save, they needed. And then some, to your point, they had to kind of run the, the Leonard deal through Toronto and then eventually to Vegas where, you know, the Golden Knights only picked up a, 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 a portion of his salary and significantly less portion of his salary. But yeah, it's, yeah, all year long, we were kind of joke around like, this is incredible there. And it would give you a popsicle headache trying to figure out all the math, as you said, but um you know, I guess they didn't mismanage to cap that badly after all, Gary. No, they did. Uh, they did not. And uh, uh, hopefully, as Dan said, this season gets unpaused because this roster, how the Knights were built, what we just discussed, is one of the best in the NHL. And it would be really fun to see them compete in the Stanley Cup tournament. Guys, thanks so much for your time and your insights. Uh, this was fantastic. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. Well, uh, man, this is sure. uh, so. This will be part of a bigger written piece by you, correct? Uh, on the uh, kind of on, along the lines of the Odyssey and the Iliad. Is that about right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, law man. Thanks for having us. So, thanks a lot, everybody. This is the SLGND podcast, brought to you by the D Hotel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>